The Keep Birth Wild podcast acknowledges the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners and custodians of the land, sky and waters on which this project is produced, and we pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. We extend this respect to all First Nations people on whose country we live, birth and raise children. We acknowledge the ongoing leadership, resilience and commitment of First Nations people who continue to fight for their right to safe and culturally appropriate experiences of pregnancy, birth and postpartum, and we commit to continuing to explore our own role in that journey. Lastly, we honour and celebrate the ancient birthing knowledge and practices that have existed on this country for thousands of years. May this wisdom continue to nurture life for many generations to come. Welcome to the Keep Birth Wild podcast. My name is Indy and through this series I'll be speaking to women who plan to birth their babies at home. Join me to hear home birth mothers sharing their stories of pregnancy, birth and postpartum. In today's episode I'm chatting to my own godmother, Steffi. In addition to the very important role of being my godmother, she's also a doula, birth educator, body worker, and facilitator of many sacred rituals and practices around birth and womanhood. This is part one of two episodes to allow plenty of time for her to share the stories of her births, as well as many beautiful reflections on her practices as a birth worker. In this episode, Steffi talks about her journey into birth work and takes us through the pregnancies, births and postpartum times for her eldest two children who were both born at home. And then, yeah, we'll hear about her subsequent pregnancies and births next week. So settle down with a cup of tea if you can and get cosy and enjoy. Hi, Steffi. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? Hello, Indy. I am well today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honour to be here and to share some of my stories with you. Yeah, I'm so excited to finally be interviewing you. For those, yeah, for those who are listening, Steffi is actually my godmother. I call her my fairy godmother, and <laughs> <laughs> and um. Yeah, she's known me since before I was born, so it's very special to be able to hear her birth stories, um, yeah, in full, which is really mm. nice. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Indy. <laughs> and Steffi, um, you're actually a doula and birth worker and body worker as well. Would you maybe like to start by sharing a little bit about how you came to that work and, yeah, your journey into birth work? Sure, I'm happy to. Um, so... You play a significant part in that story because while my emerging interest and intrigue around pregnancy and birth and early postpartum was definitely already unfolding within me, it was the preparation for your birth and the sharing in your pregnancy that really gave me my first taste of being in the reality of that season of life as a support person. I was only 17 at the time and very green and inexperienced with um, holding space of any kind, let alone at the vulnerable time of um, travelling through pregnancy and preparing for birth. But um, nonetheless, I was just so enthusiastic and so keen to learn whatever I could and share in whatever I could of your pregnancy and 
was planning to be at your birth with the utmost of excitement. But um, unfortunately, in an era pre-mobile phones, I think I was off shopping at a local market when the call came that you were on your way. And um, by the time I got into your family's home in Camberwell, they were already on their way to the birth centre where you were born. And um, I'd missed my opportunity to be with you for your birthing time, but I was there hours late for when your mum and dad brought you home. And um, thus began my initiation into postpartum care. And um, I spent a larger part of, I think I was there for a good few days after your birth, getting up in the middle of the night to help walk you and trying to make food for your parents. I wasn't a very good cook at all and they will no doubt tell you some very funny stories about the type of food I made and the terrible cups of tea I made. (laughs) Um, While I don't feel that my actual practical care was necessarily as, as good as it could have been, the love and devotion and excitement that I had to in being present during those early days of your life and then the the year that followed was something that was just so precious and cherished for me at the time. And um, Yeah, from there I felt all the more assured that um, I really truly did want to be involved working around pregnancy, birth and postpartum and um, began my more kind of very organic but um, kind of formal journey of trying to work out how that was going to happen. So um, over the years that followed, I um, spent time around pregnant and birthing and newly parenting families wherever I could. And um, I initially started a nursing degree thinking that the wisest and, well, what seemed to be the only path towards working with birth was to go through a nursing degree, then study a graduate year in midwifery, and then finally um, be able to work as a midwife. Um, Not the wisest of paths, I should say. I I realised prior to beginning that degree that I was making a big compromise, taking the path to midwifery through nursing, and um, I tried really hard to look for other options, um, both in Australia and um, internationally, that would take me directly to working with birth, but um, nothing was easily available um but thankfully just the month before I was due to start my reluctant degree I was traveling on the mid-north coast of New South Wales and um I heard about a midwife that had been serving that community for about 20 years at the time as a home birth midwife and I was encouraged to go and meet her so I had this amazing day sitting on the deck of this beautiful valley homestead looking out over the pristine river valley that it looked looked over and into the nearby escarpment and hearing about this amazing woman's journey into midwifery and pouring over her chronicles of birth because she had kept a story a photographic and poetic and artistically depicted account of every birth that she had attended over the last 20 years And she really helped to show me that there, in fact, was another pathway into birth work. She hadn't trained as a a nurse or a university certified midwife. She'd gone to the States and trained with Ina May Gaskin and received certification as a 
a lay midwife and then also just apprenticed herself to different midwives and home birth attending GPs and gathered the skills that she needed and was then in turn practicing from there on as an unregistered practitioner. So um, while I did go back and begin my nursing degree, I carried that little seed of inspiration with me. And um, after the birth of my first child, when I had long <laughs> let go of my nursing pathway and re realised that that was not the way I was going to find my way into birth work, we moved to that river valley and next door to that beautiful lay midwife. And um, over the next five years, the foundation of my work was born through basically just spending time around birth in that community, sitting in on antenatals wherever Joey needed me to, beginning to help out the other midwife in the area who had recently trained as a lay midwife with Joey and other mentors and um, helping to facilitate the local home birth group and um, going to births wherever an extra set of hands were needed and helping out during the postpartum time. So, um, yeah, that was really the, the foundation-making time of my work. And during that time, I developed a really passionate interest in supporting the body through pregnancy, birth and early postpartum, and I began gathering different skills to help enable that. I met Jenny Blythe, who is a, a well-known body worker and birth attendant and educator and um, she began what's now been about a 17-year-long journey of friendship and mentoring where she's um, yeah, progressively shared an abundance of skills with me that um, I continue to apply in my work and um, yeah from, from there it's just been a, an ongoing gathering along the way, um, gathering lots of different Bodywork skills, um, lots of them are, I guess, of a traditional basis and stem from different traditional cultural care around the world. Um, I've done some training in um, pelvic osteopathy with a very fascinating French osteopath with a pelvic focus and specialty and some training with a physio from the States who um, has created an institute that she calls the Institute of Birth Healing. Um, and has hundreds of different techniques that support well-being through pregnancy, birth and postpartum, and male and abdominal therapy and lomi lomi and hot stone massage, some Ayurvedic massage. And, um, yeah, altogether I've, um, I guess, just created my own eclectic approach to caring for the body through pregnancy, birth and postpartum and um, around the edges lots of other skills that I'm um, and practices that um, help to honour the more sacred and inner realms of, of the journey and help provide spaces of nurture and nourishment and deeper delving for the pregnant family. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's oh, a long summary. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful description and I love, yeah, I guess I've always it kind of, um, yeah, love the way that you've managed to fit your learning and the development of your role and your knowledge around around your family and the different kind of stages of family and children and would you like to share a little bit about the work that you've been doing in Laos in the last few years? Yeah sure so um, Jenny Blythe the um, amazing friend and mentor that I mentioned earlier has had a long 
long passion and love for the country of Lao and the people of Lao and the beautiful, gentle Buddhist culture of the society. And she's um, been visiting Lao for probably over about 15 years now, really fascinated about different aspects of, of life over there and having a pre-existing midwifery and maternal child health interests, she, of course, was particularly interested in her travels to learn about what the experience of pregnancy, birth and postpartum is like today for Lao women. And um, quite soon she began to realise that um, whilst until relatively recently uh, traditional midwives and traditional approaches to, to care was what um, proliferated in the country, the last probably 15 years has seen an, an overwhelming um, influence of more Western obstetric approaches to to care for mothers and babies, which has been wonderful in part, but in, in others it's meant that a lot of traditional aspects of, of care have been lost and a, a more, I guess, what we would call an archaic approach to obstetrics has been what has taken over. So women have been birthing on their backs with legs in stirrups rather than in the traditional positions of being upright and using a hanging rope or a squat at home. Um, large rate of episiotomy, big challenges with breastfeeding, um, often due to malnutrition, sometimes the introduction of formula. Um, and just a, a loss of respect for the traditional approaches of tending and care and nurture that, you know, like is the case in all traditional societies would have been present until recently. So, um, yeah, Jenny, Jenny began to get involved where she could with learning and stepping into maternal child health situations where help was needed. And she, she, um, began to become acquainted with the head of maternal child health at the um, provincial health department in the Wang Prabang in northern Laos. And through that friendship with Dr. Van Lee, um, we eventually received an invitation to travel to Laos. Jenny was asked if she would be prepared to bring a small group of her colleagues and share some of her approaches to being with birth, that being both emergency care skills, which were often lacking um, in the often minimal training that the healthcare workers and midwives had received um, and particularly needed in all situations, but um, most importantly in the very, very remote situations that many birth, uh, many healthcare centres and births take place in Laos. Um, and also beyond emergency care, um, approaches in the dynamics of birth, upright positions, why getting women off their back is sensible, why applying different gentle supportive body work techniques can be valuable, why helping keep a woman calm and providing her with nurturing and gentle soothing communication and touch and consensual care, uh, helping her with her breath, all, all the, the very basic aspects of what we know is so important in birth that had unfortunately been very quickly lost in this more authoritative obstetric model of care that had overtaken a large part of the country. So, um, yeah, ironically, there we were 
a group of four white women, two midwives and Jenny and I as um, birth attendants, body workers, doulas, educators, um, travelling to Laos to teach a lot of pretty basic skills in being with birth that um, unfortunately would have been present and normal a short time ago. But, um, yeah, nonetheless, we were um, really warmly welcomed and um, we've been four times, oh, five times over the last five years and um, travelled to different regions of the north of Laos uh, trying to get out to the remote, the most remote and needed regions and, um, yeah, provided training for midwives, health workers and doctors as well as um, self-care approaches for mothers and, and their families in support of them, yeah, keeping things safe and nourished and nurtured through through the childbearing year. Mm. Yeah, so um, we've been really fortunate to have um, financial support over the last couple of years from an amazing organisation called Send Hope Not Flowers, who are um, an Australian-based not-for-profit organisation that um, support maternal child health initiatives in developing countries. And um, that's been amazing because initially we were self-funded and uh, raised all of our funds through um, a GoFundMe campaign and our own private fundraising. So having the support of Send Hope has been amazing and made it a much easier process to get ourselves there and provide all the resources that have been needed, um, as well as birth-specific resources and education. We've also brought hundreds of um, Days for Girls menstrual health kits with us, which are beautiful Hand, handmade um, menstrual kits with reusable pads and undies and instructions on how to wash your pads and undies simply with minimal water. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a movement that provides menstrual kits for to women all around the world. And, yeah, amazing to be involved with Days for Girls as well and to have their hundreds of donations of pads every year that we, um, we've lugged with us. Mm, amazing. I'll um I'll put some links to those two organisations yeah, in the show thanks, notes. That yeah, would be beautiful. And um, yeah, if anybody has able to or would like to support that, that'd be wonderful. I don't imagine you'll be able to get back there anytime soon in this climate. Yeah, not expecting we'll necessarily be there for a while at the moment, but um it's certainly our intention to get back there once travel is permitted. Mm. Beautiful. Well, we might get started on the birth. So we've got three beautiful children to fit in today, and I'm so excited. I've grown up with your children, so I'm so excited to hear these birth stories firsthand from you. So with your first son, Bayer, would you like to share a little bit about his conception and how you came to start a family? Yes. um, Bayer's conception was somewhat of a surprise that came at a time where Demo and I were intending to separate. We were deeply in love with each other but very, very young and um, both very aware that there was a lot of growing up to do and um, a lot of rather immature ways of being that we had already identified were at play between us and 
while we felt quite clear that we would most probably come back together in the years to come, it certainly didn't feel like it was time for baby making as yet or necessarily even continuing a relationship. We both had big dreams of study and travel and lots of things that we felt were lying ahead for us. But nonetheless, a few years beforehand, Damo, I had had an amazing experience with Damo when he first came to meet you, Indy. He was um, given you to hold as a little newborn baby and he wasn't my partner at the time. He was just a, a local school friend that I'd bumped into at the train station in Camberwell and um, felt inspired to invite along to meet this beautiful new baby goddaughter of mine. So it was in it was in that little chance meeting where he was um, given beautiful newborn new to behold, where I had a, an amazing epiphany of realisation that somewhere in the future this man would in fact be the father of my children, which was a very weird thing to to consider since he was just a a random school friend at the time and no one that I had ever imagined making a family with but that that seed had been planted quite a few years before Bea was conceived and um, we were aware that somewhere in the future a baby was was going to come but um we hadn't planned for it to be at the time when Bea arrived and yet Magic has its way of weaving, and um, whilst precautions were taken, our our beautiful boy found his way through in a very magnificent and cosmic way. And there was um there was no denying for us that um he he was clearly meant to be there with us. Um, he um he was conceived on a beautiful beach on the southern coast of New South Wales, and. His presence was immediately strong and palpable for me. In fact, I, I even had a an experience of looking across the beautiful bay and seeing this image of a, a young man with a fishing spear in his hand looking at me with this determined certainty in his eyes and saying what felt to me like you are my mother and I'm coming now. So um, there was no no denying that Bea needed to come when he came and no question about the rightness and the purpose of, of his chosen time of arrival. But um, nonetheless, there was an ongoing question for Damo and I around how to manage a relationship that felt like it really was ready for a good long sustained break. So um, pregnancy had its ebbing and flow of uncertainty and turmoil through its first few months and finally we found our, our groove and were able to to settle down into um, some clarity around moving forward together as a family and start preparing for um, our our little boys coming more actively. We um, we spent a large part of the, the, the pregnancy travelling up the east coast of Australia and across to Darwin. Then I ventured over to Indonesia and me through the centre and eventually we settled in the, um, the Christmas Hills Kangaroo Ground area in a beautiful little mud brick house and um, 
began our preparations for birth. Um, we had been clear from the outset that we would be birthing at home and already having attended several home births um, and being quite familiar with the Melbourne home birth community through my growing interest and education around birth and birth attendance, um, that was really clear for us. We did a little bit of feeling into which midwives we felt compelled to take that journey with, but um, it was very clear even prior to birth that um, Rhea Dempsey would certainly be a part of our birth team. Um, I'd been, I think I'd already attended several of her embracing the intensity workshops with other women that I had been caring for and sat in on different parent education evenings that she'd run and um, was really clear that she was a essential presence for me through my pregnant and, and birthing journey. Um, so I, I spent the pregnancy attending a weekly pregnancy circle that she ran, which was an amazing kind of delving into the deeper inner realms of pregnancy and birth. And um, Demo and I had some one-on-one -on -one sessions with her. We also went to her Embracing the Intensity workshop together. And um, while our midwife certainly provided us a beautiful quality of care through the pregnancy, it was really with Rhea that I felt we, we received that really rich and soulful aspect of journeying together. And um, likewise, in my actual birth, it felt like it was Rhea that gave me that really strong and anchored depth of presence that um, felt very, very essential to the passage that I took. Mm. Um, oh, so yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> and, um, yeah, maybe heading into the last few weeks and days of your pregnancy with Bea, how were you feeling and um, how did things get started for his arrival? Um, I was feeling very excited about birth. Um, I um, also had a fair share of trepidation and there was um, quite a lot of inner work that I felt I was asked to do through his pregnancy, um, having a pretty complex history of of sexual trauma in my life. It felt like the pregnancy posed some big hurdles for me around um, deepening my sense of trust and assurance and confidence with with a body that had known a lot of hardship in in the realms of my sexuality and that definitely felt like it it rose up with new layers of fear um, in those last last weeks leading into birth um, again my work with Rhea was a really valuable place for me to explore and grow and learn and transform and transcend the different fears and places of uncertainty that were there. Um, and a lot of art play came into that, drawing and sculpting and using different artistic media, particularly in those last weeks, to, to help more intimately understand what was going on inside me. Um, also, time spent in nature had become increasingly important through my pregnancy and in particular time spent at a particular rock site in the Dandenong Ranges that um, I had been visiting over 
the years prior to that time. But um, in the days leading into Bayer's birth, it felt like I really needed to, to be there again. And um, this particular rock, so I have been told, not by anyone authoritative as yet, but um, nonetheless I've, um, I've been told that it's a, a significant traditional women's site with a, a fertility association. Whether or not that is is true, I I can't say um, definitively. But for me, in my in my journey of of babies coming and birth preparation, it's felt like a place that's brought me incredible support and healing. Um, and again, on this occasion in the days prior to Bayer's birth beginning, it felt like it just gave me so much strength and certainty and comfort to complete that last little phase of gathering in trust and courage. This particular rock looks somewhat like a woman when you come down to the base of it and look back over the lay of the land. It um, rises up in a a couple of big mounds that look somewhat like thighs and then um, splits into a very vaginal-like, vulva-like crevice and then rises up to a belly and a breast. So um, on this particular occasion, I scrambled up to the the vulva-like crevice and lay down into the soft moss on the rock surface and just asked to be held and cradled by the beautiful body of this incredible rock form and um, it really felt like it was in that space where I received the last little increments of what I needed in order to face birth and um, from there on I felt like I was I was really ready and that um, the fears that had been strongly with me and the, the different feelings of trepidation and burdens of my past felt like they were were able to be put down to the larger part and um yeah there was a really beautiful new mood of confidence that I was able to take home with me and sure enough in the days that followed at around um I think I was about 10 days past 40 weeks um feeling very very ready um labor began and um, it started at around well the, fir- the first I've been having a, a growing regularity of, of tightenings over the weeks that followed and becoming more familiar with that sense of, of contractile activity in my womb but on this particular morning around probably three in the morning there was a deeper quality of aching and tightening that I was woken with and I really felt that it was something, something that heralded a, a beginning. Um, and sure enough, as the morning began, that deep aching became more regular. I kept waking from my sleep, and then once I woke in in the morning um, and got up, there began to be a bit of a rhythmic nature to what I was feeling probably every 15, 20 minutes to begin with and then progressively through the day becoming closer um we went to an appointment with our midwife that was already arranged 
and I let her know that I really felt something was happening. She had a little feel of my belly and said, well, your baby's still really high, not even engaged as yet. I'm possibly not quite ready. And I said, oh, I really feel like we'll be calling you later tonight. And she said, no, look, just go about your day and it could still be a while away and some we took her advice and went off on a reasonably busy day um, of shopping and different errand running and um, went for a swim in the Yarra and then late afternoon we came home and um, dropped into our beautiful neighbours next door. She was um, a yoga teacher who I'd been attending classes with through my pregnancy and also a home birthing mama herself and um, beautiful, beautiful, sensitive soul. So we had a, a cup of tea with Annie and talked about birth and babies. And as the um, the visit went on, I began to feel vaguer and vaguer and more inwardly absorbed. And um, eventually Annie said, Steffi, I think you're in labor and I think it's time for you to go home and birth your baby. And I said, no, no, no. No, my midwife said it's probably still days away. And he said, I don't think so. I think you need to go home and get on with what needs to happen. I have no doubt I'll be hearing your cries of birth wafting over the gully in no time. (laughs) So um, we went home and um, made some dinner, but it was during my attempted eating of dinner that things really kicked in. And I remember starting to spit out each mouthful of food whenever a surge came and um, (laughs) Soon enough, I pushed my plate away and realized that it, it was all on. So that was around 7.30. And, um, yeah, from then on through till midnight, Damo and I um, were on our own with um, an increasingly strong and demanding regularity of surges moving through me. Um, Did you have a birth pool or a space set up? That, you'd, that you had ideas about how you were going to sort of manage the labour in? Yeah, we had a birth pool. It was a, um, a metal-framed and um, kind of plastic-lined bath and um, really nice and deep. Um, I, had, I hadn't heard of a blessing way at that time, but I had felt really strongly that I needed to gather a group of women around me in advance of the birth to bring their prayers and blessings and well wishes and create different craft together to help decorate my birthing space. So there was a, a beautiful altar that we had created on that occasion, um, different affirmations hung on the walls and palms that had been ridden by the women that had been present. Um, I had borrowed a big luscious piece of artwork from a friend that depicted a, an abundant rose in full bloom that I had felt I wanted to have as a centrepiece to gaze into as well as lots of other open flowering artistic and sculptural symbols around the birth space. Um, lots of candles burning, vases of flowers. It was all pretty abundant and, and luscious. Um, I spent quite a bit of time in the early labour outside, um, hanging from a beautiful blackwood tree just out the front door over one of the lower branches that felt really, really supportive. And um, then as things began to get stronger, I'd come back inside. And, um, yeah, at around midnight, our birth team arrived. 
So, so you had, you mentioned you had Rhea and a couple of other midwives. Yeah, so. I had Rhea, Jenny Teske, and Bronnie Hawksworth. Oh, beautiful. Um, yeah, and how did once they arrived, how did things progress from there? So when they arrived, things had, in the hour leading up to their arrival, really intensified, and I was beginning to feel quite overwhelmed by the strength of what was moving through me and um and yet also I think there was a continuing doubt around are things really progressing am I doing the right thing one of the first things I said to Jenny was can you please check me I just don't know where I am or what's happening um it really felt like a very um very naive and maiden uninitiated aspect of myself coming out really looking to the older and supposedly more authoritative woman to give me assurance of what was happening in my own body um she agreed and she did check my dilation and let me know that I was already nine centimeters um which actually confronted me more than excited me at the time I I just had not been prepared for that information. Um, I hadn't been prepared to be that well advanced. And um, I remember really strongly urging and praying that things would slow down and saying to myself, oh, my God, I'm not ready. This needs to slow down. I can't I can't be that close to giving birth. Um and that's exactly what happened, actually, from 12 o'clock till 4.30 when um, Bea was born. Things really did slow down. They didn't, they didn't lose intensity, but um, that last centimetre of dilation took its time and um, quite a significant cervical lip developed in um, on my anterior cervix and... Um, Whilst an incredible urge to push was there, Bayer just wasn't quite able to come. So there were, um, there was about, maybe about two or three hours of, um, really needing to go within and find what I needed to allow that last phase of opening to take place. And, um, that was where Rhea really stepped in and gave me a lot of very, very beautiful guidance on how to work with my breath, how to communicate with my body, to involve visualisation in my experience of connecting and descending down into my cervix. And in the end it was through retreating into the bedroom on my own, popping out of the tub where I'd ended up being for a couple of hours and just having this really deep intimate time by myself in the dark where um yeah I really I really feel like I am um, I I guess I confronted head on those fears that I had been holding around my body not being capable or being damaged from past experiences um and realised that 
that was simply not the case, that those those long-held sentiments were distortions that had come about through trauma I had experienced and that, in fact, my body was incredibly capable and was doing the incredible work of birth there and then. And, um, yeah, I really, I really feel like it was through that deep, dark, in a communion that I was able to move through those final final phases of dilation and bring myself into um, a strong and powerful second stage of, of labour and um, back into the tub as a result. So, mm. Beautiful. I probably had about a maybe a one-and-a-half, two-hour phase of strong, active bringing Vaya down through the second stage and lots of descending and then retreating back and descending and retreating back, which um, I, I can recall feeling really challenged by at the time. Why does he keep popping back again? He's there, but now he's not. Um, <laughs> Did you know that there was a boy? No, I didn't know that Bea was a boy, but I felt really strongly that that he was a little boy. And um, having been conceived on a beautiful bay, his name, Bea, had been with us since the time of his conception. So even as the as a little tiny embryonic seed baby, we were referring to him as as Bea, which for us meant from the bay. So. Um, he felt very he felt very known to us and he felt very boyish some um, while it was a, a surprise to identify him as a boy as a boy it wasn't it wasn't something we weren't yeah we weren't prepared for mm. so yeah how was his arrival was he born into the water he wasn't born into the water his head crowned in the water but um Sorry, he began to crown in the water and um, during that time a, a check of his heart alerted the midwives to a little bit of challenge on his behalf and I was encouraged strongly to hop out of the bath and um, get into a squatting position. I think already Jenny was feeling concerned that um, there may be a possibility of a, a shoulder compromise in his in his birthing um he was a a a nice sized baby at nine pounds and um i think just having watched the descent of his head she she was beginning to feel concerned that maybe his shoulders may have been holding him up a little bit so um, i got down on the birth stool into a squash and um his head was born really quite efficiently i think in the in the next contraction that followed um i was amazed that i managed to get myself out of the bath i couldn't believe when i was told i needed to hop out of the bath it seemed <laughs> like a an absolutely unachievable thing at that stage but um the certainty in jenny's voice made me realize it was it was a non-negotiable um so out of the bath onto the birth stool and with an almighty surge his his head was beautifully born uh, but his shoulders didn't 
follow efficiently and um, his little little heart showed more signs of some challenge. So um, Jenny asked me to stand and um, she assisted the birth of, of his shoulder. So um, I think she, she gave it several contractions before doing so but um, felt really clear that it was it was necessary that um a little bit of assistance was given to to bring that first presenting shoulder down and and once she she gave that little wiggle um his his body followed beautifully so um, for me that finale of his birth at the time didn't feel concerning but for everybody else present there definitely was a an aspect of of alarm and um, and concern and urgency. Um, I remember feeling very connected to Bayer and feeling very sure that he was okay and that he was coming. And although there was a, a sense of awareness that the people around me were not feeling so sure and confident, at the time it didn't feel like that reached or impacted upon me in a significant way I was in a in a really altered space I remember saying again and again my baby's coming my baby's coming he's coming he's coming he's coming and and sure enough he did and covered in a thick coating of meconium he came out and up into my arms and there he was our very big and beautiful boy and he was fine despite the the signs of a little bit of compromise or something that alerted the midwives to alert in the heart monitoring that they had done in the lead-up to his birth. There was definitely no signs other than his very big poo that he may have had anything of concern occur for him and um, he was just in a beautiful, beautiful, contented state couple of big cries but um he settled in my arms and um we quite quickly made our way into the bedroom just around the corner and um, snuggled down into bed with our beautiful beautiful baby boy Mm, amazing and yeah how long was the when was the placenta delivered was that before you got into bed or no a placenta was born in bed and um I, if I remember correctly, around around sort of the half hour mark, not not too long after birth, and um, yeah, really really gentle and yeah, no no challenge or complexity. Just a beautiful beautiful graceful third stage. And um, we had done lots of reading and research about lotus birth, and were really passionate about following that practice. Um, we had a a little placenta bag that we had sewn up in advance of Bayer's birth and um, initially the placenta was just wrapped up in a nappy um, and um, given a little bit of a, a wash and then um, popped into its lotus bag and salted the following day. Mm. Mm, so gorgeous. And how was your journey with breastfeeding with Bayer? My journey with breastfeeding began relatively smoothly. Um, 
it was also something that I had held concerns about, wondering whether previous traumas might have impacted upon my experience and ease of breastfeeding. But in the outset, that didn't appear to be the case. And although there was a little bit of blistering and cracking of nipples in the early days, it was nothing too severe. And um, I was able to quite comfortably begin our breastfeeding journey. That remained the case through until he was around nine months old. And then um, I developed a really severe nipple crush that then fed into a dermatitis that um, led to cracked and bleeding nipples for the next six months that followed. And um, unfortunately, despite many efforts at the time, I, I wasn't able to get get on top of, of that challenge. And um, so the last months of Bayer's breastfeeding were really, really demanding. And in, in many ways I do feel that in that experience there were points of triggering and hardship um, that were made worse due to the the previous traumas that I had known. So, um, yeah, it was an, an interesting experience of beginning smoothly but then having them at the time unreconcilable hurdles that came up towards the end of his, his breastfeeding, which, yeah, retrospectively finished far, far sooner than I would have ideally liked it to have finished on account of not being able to get on top of the challenges that were there. Mm. That sounds so hard at that time. Yeah, I guess at that time we relieved to when he weaned or we was it still something that you were trying really hard to continue with? Um I I came to a point where it felt like I was I was ready to wean him and um at the time I felt peaceful about that. I think looking back I've had more lament that um I hadn't I didn't have the resources or the skills or the guidance at the time to, to overcome those challenges. At, at the time, I felt peaceful and he, he weaned quite peacefully. It didn't feel like a, a big drama for him. But um, now looking back, stopping breastfeeding a baby at 14 months just feels very early and not something that sits so peacefully with me. And, yeah, I suppose after... After that birth, um, how did that experience, I mean, you'd already attended a few births, it must have been completely different to have actually been through mm. that journey yourself. So how were you feeling um, kind of in anticipation of another birth after that experience? I felt really excited about birthing again. It, it, was, a, it was a really positive and empowering experience on a personal level and um and also as far as my passion and quest to continue my work with birth, um, I, I just felt like, yeah, I was filled to the brim with inspiration and excitement and a want to, a, yeah, an, an enhanced want to support mothers to experience a positive and well-supported experience of their own so um, yeah it was it was a really affirming experience for me to birth Bayer. 
if I could make make some um, reflections on Damo's part of Beta's birth, that could be. So Damo had been very passionate about learning absolutely everything he could in, in preparation for um for Beta's birth. He'd um we'd been to several several weekend workshops and had private sessions with Ria and he'd poured over different birthing texts that I had and learnt acupressure techniques and mounted hanging ropes and practiced different supported positions that um he was looking forward to assisting me with. But um as it unfolded I was a very independent birther and um I didn't really want any of the hands-on support that he had practised and intended to give me. Um, what I did want from him was his presence and um, the most valuable tool and offering of support that it felt that he gave me through Bayer's birth was his unwavering trust um, every time I looked to him, I can recall seeing a, an incredible and feeling an incredible anchor of trust and deep confidence that um not for a moment doubted my ability to go to wherever I needed to go in the birthing of our little boy. And that was so precious for me and did exactly what I needed of him. Um, it was interesting nonetheless in our debriefing on the other side of Bayer's birth. As for Damo, it felt like he hadn't really done much at all. He had these big expectations of being very proactive and putting all of these amazing skills that he'd been practising to use. And um, for him, he felt like he'd just been there at the side of the bath or by my side in the bedroom or by my side while I was walking outside um, and hadn't really done much at all. And it was quite a quite a process, an ongoing process actually, to impress upon him that he had in fact done exactly what I had needed him to do. And yet it, and, and yet it was much more in the realms of being than it was doing. And, um, yeah, that, that took quite a while to to soak in for him um, and yeah some, something that I've that I've drawn on quite a lot over the years because I think so often our male partners in particular are, are, are used to, to doing things they're used to being practical and hands-on and offering something that's tangible and seen and um, it's felt really valuable to share that story over the years and help explore with other couples that um, sometimes the best and the most needed support may not look like much from the outside, but um, what it's offering on the inside is is so very precious. And, and for me in that first birth, it really felt like that steadfast trust and confidence and presence was um, everything I needed from a partner. Mm. That's such a beautiful reflection and I'm sure it'd be yeah, so common with with partners in birth and seeing their yeah, seeing a woman go through that and not be able to 
sort of do as much as they would think that they mm. would be able to do to take the load would be mm. quite challenging, I imagine. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So we might, um, in the interest of time, get on to the next birth. So, yeah, you were feeling positive and excited for another birth after Bayer's. So, yeah, what was that transition like to, uh, yeah, conceiving your next baby? Our next baby was a very beautiful conception. Um, again, as was the case for Bayer's conception and the lead into his birth, Isha's, Isha's conception followed a visit, was followed a visit to the beautiful rock site in the Dandenong Ranges. And um, similarly to Bayer, I, I hadn't been in a place where um, I was considering that another baby was close at hand. Um, again, as has been the case many times, Damo and I were were in a difficult place in our relationship and um, whilst we had got through Bayer's first three years uh, relatively harmoniously, we had decided that space was needed and we spent, at that stage, we'd spent six months living separately and um, little Bayer moving between our two houses that thankfully were in walking distance from one another um, on the beautiful community that we were living in on um, in, in northern New South Wales. Um, and I'd come back to Melbourne with Bea and it was my birthday and I had decided to visit the beautiful rock site and whilst there with little little three-year-old Bea, the sense of another baby came to me whilst I was sitting on the rock and um, I felt really clear that um, there was someone soon to arrive and um, that despite Demo and my separate living, there was there was clarity enough that we were to to grow our family and that we would find a way to to make it all work. So um, I returned to our home in New South Wales with very excited news that there's another baby coming. I really feel <laughs> it, Demo. I was a little bit taken aback. Wow, but we're living separately. I was like, that's okay. I don't think she minds. I think she's ready to come. Let's start preparing. So um, our intention was to spend some months further working on our relationship challenges and looking at our living arrangements and preparing my body. But um, Isha came immediately, I think, on that very first day that I had come back from um, (laughs) from my trip to Melbourne. (laughs) She found her way in and um, sure enough within a fortnight I was very clearly pregnant and um, Isha's journey into the world began. Um, we had a little, little three-and-a-half-year-old bear at that time. We were living in a beautiful, beautiful community and um, I was deeply immersed in, in the home birthing um culture of of the area we were living in and really closely connected with the two local midwives and um yeah really excited to be able to experience that journey once again and um yeah I had a had a beautiful pregnancy I am um, was quite busy with my um 
my work at the time, I think there must have been maybe about seven or eight births that I attended through Ishi's pregnancy. Um, one of them involved going, travelling up to Byron Bay where um, both Jenny Blythe and I had been invited to care for a mutual friend during her birthing time. So that, that was my, my first meeting with Jenny. She travelled from her home on the Sunshine Coast and I travelled up from, from Bellingen and um, the lovely baby we were waiting for took a couple of weeks longer than we were anticipating. So during that fortnight, Jenny and I had lots of beautiful time to get to know each other and being I think six months pregnant myself and having my own beautiful birthing body, um, pregnant body, Jenny was able to teach me the beginnings of many, many of the, the gorgeous practices that she had already developed at that time um, whilst I was pregnant myself. And that included the internal work, the beautiful um, deep explorative pelvic work that um, I have since developed um, in, in my work but at that time had been unacquainted with. I'd learnt about perennial massage during my pregnancy with Bayer and with a lot of discomfort and confrontation practised the stretch until it burns um, technique of stretching the perineum which never really felt comfortable or congruent with a um, supportive, nurturing body practice for me. So um, I was um, really excited to learn Jenny's approach of internal vaginal preparation, which is um, a much gentler, um, more kind of, I guess it's more, more of an exploration and a deep listening to the body, helping a woman bring her breath down into her internal space and become more acquainted with the inner landscape that she holds within and, um, yeah, more aware of the spaces that might benefit from release and softening. But rather than stretching and using force to achieve that softening and space-making, the internal work that Jenny taught me was much more about just holding a gentle place of presence and witness where I could bring my breath down and through my breath and the enhancement of blood flow into that area, let my body release and make more space. And um, it was just, it was phenomenal and um, felt like it gave me a chance to get to know that inner landscape that I held within and also address some of the long-held emotional trauma-related content that I held within as well as the, the physiological tensions that were there in a really, yeah, really powerful and transformative way. So um, after that fortnight with Jenny, I was able to bring that practice and an array of other bodywork practices home with me to share with Damo and um, and my beautiful midwife in the valley who was already familiar with some of Jenny's approaches and um, incorporate them into the rest of our pregnancy care from there on. Mm, amazing. And I've heard 
I mean, I've had a little bit of that knowledge shared with me during my pregnancy by you, but I've heard accounts from a few women who've um, had the internal work done by you and with just amazing results during their pregnancy. So, yeah, it was something that I had never heard of before I fell pregnant, and I'm sure there would be still quite a few people who haven't heard about it. So, yeah, it's amazing to hear firsthand from you Um more about that because we've touched on it a tiny bit but mm. I feel like I don't do it justice whatsoever mm. but <laughs> thank you for sharing all of that. That's a pleasure. Mm. Yeah so maybe heading into the, the last weeks and days of your pregnancy with Isha and how her birth began. So Isha on the whole had a beautiful beautiful pregnancy. It wasn't without a period of considerable turmoil in that um, a trip down to Melbourne coincided with a, a time of really profound unravelling for my sister and many, many months that followed of her being in a, a really vulnerable state that um, I felt I feel like I carried with me through that latter part of the pregnancy and um, and into Isha's birthing time. So there was a bit of a, a juxtaposed experience of being in this beautiful utopic situation but also holding space for um, my sister and my family who, who back home were having a really, a really challenging time. But um, all that being... Being there in, in the periphery, I felt like I was able to enter my, my birthing time relatively harmoniously. And, um, it was quite a similar lead into birth to Bayer's in that it was in the, um, the early morning hours, I would imagine also around three o'clock where, um, I, felt the first shift of much deeper pelvic aching sensation in contrast to the tightenings that I had felt in the weeks leading in. And again, I can recall waking in those early morning hours and having that sense of, oh, wow, it's, it's beginning. Again, it was um, tw- around 12 days after after Isha's 40-week mark, and so it was a, another another time of patient ripening and, and readying for us. Um, we had decided we wanted to birth Isha outside in our beautiful garden, which overlooked the amazing escarpment of the Dorigo Ranges that we looked, looked out into. And um, we also decided, because it was May and weather was a little bit unpredictable, that we needed some shelter. So we had borrowed a friend's teepee and um, mm-hmm. erected the teepee in in our front yard and um, had created a little fire circle inside and laid it with rugs and skins and cushions and a beautiful bed and um, then created a little outside fireside setting where the tub was blown up underneath a beautiful autumnal persimmon tree. And there were bananas and a pomegranate, some gorgeous flowering grevilleas and the magnificent escarpment view that we looked on to. So um, that's where Isha's labour took place. Again, it wasn't until the um, 
the early evening hours after a day of slow leading into strengthening and closer regularity of surges that um, I felt like I was led into that next deeper phase of labour. So at around, um, at around again, sort of 7.30ish, um, what would have been otherwise dinner time, um, did I feel like I, I shifted out of that more engaged and everyday self and into into the birthing space. And um, having learnt the art of bum jiggling from from Jenny months several months before in my um, in my pregnancy, I um, was really excited to be um, putting that beautiful practice to use. And I had both Damo and my little now four and a half year old bear jiggling my bottom and thighs between each contraction, um, helping me release and relax after the surge had passed and that that was something that felt really really supportive and and really releasing and relaxing we began in the in the house and then soon made our way out to our little fireside setting demo lit the outside fire and the fire in the, in the teepee and i moved between the two over those first couple of hours unfortunately filling the tub wasn't an easy thing we had a solar hot water system that hadn't really kicked in um on the overcast days that we've had leading into Isha's birth so um, from the outset we realized we were going to be struggling with hot water so there were there were lots of pots boiling and um a very shallow tub that um whilst I hopped in and out of in the early hours it wasn't really doing doing what we hoped it would um so a lot of the time I um I spent lying by the fire with my back to the to the fire looking out towards the mountains and um used the warmth of the fire in contrast to the bath to give me the relief that I was that I was needing um as labor began to intensify demo recalled an old wet back from a, an old wood stove that was underneath the house on the rental property that we were living. So he um, scrambled under the house and pulled out the old wet back and erected a contraption using the outdoor fire as a heating source um, with hoses running into the tub, siphoning out the cold water and then <laughs> recirculating the water through the the old wet back that was leaning up against the fire and sending hot water back into the tub. So um, that sounds complicated. Definitely made himself busy in Isha's birth. He also killed a chicken with Bea and together they, they plucked it and put it in a pot to stew in preparation for my first post-birth meal. Um, <laughs> And um, being outside, there were a couple of occasions where he needed to dig me little toilet pits. Um, I think his his want to do was definitely met in in Isha's birth. He was kept really busy, um, both both caring for my needs and caring for our our lovely little boy. Um, did you did you feel like even though he was sort of making himself busy with all of those things, did you feel like you still had that same 
steady presence that was so helpful in Bea's birth? I actually didn't feel I needed him in that way in Isha's birth. I felt a really different sense of um, self-authority and assurance in Isha's birth to what I had felt in Bea's birth. I didn't feel I did a lot of looking out for assurance at all, actually. It was a really internal experience of um of, of going within and um finding the trust and the comfort that I needed inside myself so um, whilst it was beautiful to have the the presence of both Damo and Bea near to me and in those earlier hours their jiggling was a lovely lovely offering of support um it, it didn't it didn't feel like I had the same level of of need um for any of the people that were present, we had our beautiful, our beautiful lay midwife in in attendance, and then two very dear friends of mine. Um, and whilst they were very, very well skilled and well resourced people, um, I was I was really quite quite contained and um, content with what I was holding within me. Um, there was a point where um, I could feel like things were getting really strong and starting to to shift gear a little and um I had a little bit of fear arise around the possibility of a a protracted conclusion of um of the first stage of dilation as what had occurred in in Bayer's birth and I I recalled my retreat into the darkness but um that had been so important in Bayer's birthing journey and um, again decided that, that that was what I was needed. And so this time I left the fireside and I walked into the darkness of the, the surrounding bushland. And um, although I could see very little and didn't really know where I was going and had the cries of my birth team calling from behind me, where are you going? You might fall over. You need you need more warmth. Do you need one of us to come with you? I was really confident that I I needed to take that little journey alone. So um over maybe twenty minutes, half an hour, I just circled round the little loop of the driveway and out onto the the bushy bushy path nearby, and um had my time of retreat, I suppose, and um it felt really really symbolic once again of, of needing to take myself into the dark and this time actually into the bush and um whilst there were, were trip hazards and it was cold and I was on my own it felt really important to to face that uncertainty and um meet with that courage I suppose that I was um again needing to harness in, in order to to move into that next phase of the labour to come and it was whilst I was walking circling my hips and taking some big lungy steps that I I really felt Isha begin to descend and drop down that little bit more deeply and feel that first sort of hint of shift that felt like the heralding of of the second stage so um, after my time of walking I, I came back and hopped into the now full bath and um, felt like 
it was nearing her time of arrival. And again, I looked to my midwife and said, I feel, I feel like I want you to let me know where I am. And I'm, am I ready to push? I don't know. And unlike the experience in my first birth with Bea, this time the response I gave was, um, was one that, that I received was one that really handed the authority back to me. And my midwife responded with, uh, well, you know the answer to that, Steph. Why don't you have a feel yourself and you let me know whether you're ready to push. And that was a big moment of revelation for me because I hadn't realised in my first birth with Bea that, of course, it is, it's very possible for a mother to check her own dilation if she chooses to and feels she needs to. Very possible for a mother to assess her own descent through the second stage of labour if she feels to and believes that she needs to. And that just hadn't been something that had arrived in my consciousness at that time and um, not something that I'd observed other women in the births I'd attended partaking in up until that time either. So I'm reaching inside and feeling my clearly very magnificently dilated cervix and holding my fingers inside once the, the whilst the next descending urge moved through me and feeling my baby clearly descend with that surge gave me the assurance that I was needing to to feel really clear that it was well and truly time and absolutely right for me to be letting go and allowing my body to yeah bring my beautiful baby in and surrendering to the, the urge to to push so um, yeah, that was a that was a really precious part of Isha's birth, and um, the second stage that then began to unfold was a truly euphoric experience for me, and um, one that I feel I I will never forget. Um, it was it was definitely an experience that connected me with what I have since come to understand as an orgasmic birth experience where I felt incredible undulations of euphoric energy and sensation moving through me as my beautiful baby came closer and closer to opening me and coming through into my hands and into the beautiful warm waters and up into my arms. Mm. Um, yeah, we were um, we were all outside by the me in the pool, everyone else by the pool's edge. Damien had um on my request run inside and brought sleeping Bea out. Bea had insisted that he be present for the birth, and although he had fallen asleep several hours earlier, it was eleven o'clock by Isha. By the time Isha was born, he had um pleaded with us that we would wake him. For the birth of the baby and um, I um, <laughs> remembered just as Isha was crowning that that was our agreement so um, I let Damo know that she's getting really close you better go and get Bayer and Damien ran inside and ran back out with Bayer in his arms just as Isha was crowning and um, Bayer 
opened his sleepy little eyes and I spoke to him, your baby's coming, your baby's coming. But his eyes then rolled back and his lids closed and um, he fell back <laughs> to sleep in his arms and in Damo's arms as um as his little sister was born. Oh, he um, just couldn't stay awake. <laughs> <laughs> he just couldn't stay awake. Afterwards he was very disappointed and he asked me why I didn't splash water on his face to keep him awake. But um <laughs> at the time it felt like his sleep was what was needed. So um, we didn't force his wakefulness. But um, Isha's birth was just so, so beautiful and um, such a joyful and pleasurable experience. And um, when we um, rolled her little body over to reveal that she was a girl in the flickering light of the nearby fire, it was just such a, a incredibly jubilant moment, moment where... Um, my cries of it's a girl, it's a girl echoed out over the the valley that we looked over calling back my my echoed song in such a beautiful way. Um, all of the women that were present were all mothers of only sons at that time um, and they were all my close friends. So um, the coming of a little girl felt like it was welcomed with such a an open heart and a um, very joyful sentiment. Mm, so beautiful. <laughs> I don't think I've heard that birth story before. I've, mm. I've, heard, I've heard Manu's birth story and I think I've heard a little bit about Bea's birth, but that's the first time I've heard that story and it's just, yeah, so beautiful. Mm. Thank you. We, um, we retreated into the teepee for the birth of Isha's placenta and then that too came really, really smoothly by the fireside as I was sipping on a warm raspberry and ginger tea and then we then decided that we would go inside and then all snuggled into bed and I had a big bowl of the chicken soup that Damo and Bea had prepared and we um, snuggled down for a beautiful first night of of sleep together. And, yeah, how was your breastfeeding journey with Isha? Breastfeeding journey with Isha was unfortunately also very challenging and the challenges with Isha began um, far sooner than they are um, in just the, the first couple of weeks after her birth. Some beautiful, beautiful commencement of feeding and no no immediate challenges, but um, within that first month, I had um, several really severe bouts of mastitis, and then by the end of the first month, um, an equally severe nipple crush came back, um, and that continued on for the first year of my breastfeeding journey with Isha, um, and again, it was... It was very severe, some bleeding nipples, dry, cracked, um, paper-thin skin that, um, yeah, created searing pain on every on every attachment. So, um, but this time I, I was determined that I was going to get on top of of the, of the experience, um, and I did. It just took me a whole year 
to get there and a, a very, very enduring year. And um, it's a, it's another story in itself. But um, the the experience of Evisha's postpartum almost felt like as as high as I had risen in the euphoria of her birth and immediate postpartum, so too did I then then fall. And um, that experience of her first year was was one of a, a lot of hardship. And um, yeah, I feel that the breastfeeding challenges, um, coupled with the 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 challenges that were at play in my family and the stress that had been there through my pregnancy, um, coupled with the birth of a daughter and the uprising of more layers of trauma that um, seemed to, to come come with what my experience of beginning to mother a, a little female child in this world brought with it. Um, yeah, together wove the the perfect mix for um what I now at the time the the only framework I had to make sense of what was going on was to to label it some sort of postpartum depression or anxiety experience which didn't really make sense to me at the time because I didn't I didn't feel depressed and none of the classic criteria were there for me as to why a depressive experience would have come to pass. Now, many years on, I am, I perceive what took place after Isha's birth as being more of a, um, a trauma response and a, a, yeah, an, an uprising of long buried traumatic content that, um, came to the surface in the vulnerability of my postpartum and needed a lot of really devoted and concerted self-care to find my way through some that first year was was a really a really difficult and demanding time for me caring for the needs of a little baby and a little boy and also taking what was really to this day the most um challenging and enduring journey through my own um, inner world that um, I feel I've I've had to take to this point. Mm. I've just got Alice scream in the background. So I'm just going <laughs> to pop the phone to... Wonderful, darling. I'll let you go to your beautiful girl. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So much love. Yeah, you too. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode with Steffi. Stay tuned for the second half of this interview, which will be released next week. And if you'd like to see some gorgeous photos, head over to my Instagram. You can see some photos of Steffi practicing as a birth worker in her early years and then some um, pregnancy and birth photos from Bea and Isha's births. If you feel called to donate to either Days for Girls, who provide menstrual kits and education in developing countries, or Send Hope Not Flowers, who are helping more mothers survive childbirth across developing countries, you can find links to websites of both of these organisations in the show notes. 
And if you've enjoyed today's episode or you're listening regularly and finding value in the show, it would mean a lot to me if you could just, um, once this is over, scroll down on your app and leave a star rating and a quick review if you haven't already done so. Thank you.